0: This is episode 136, a coaching call with a runner named Brian, who's training for his second marathon despite a long injury history. Let's see how we can make it happen. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and I hope that you and yours are healthy, safe, and doing as well as possible given the state of things today. The best way that i know to help is to teach to help you think more strategically about your running to train smarter and give you the tools to reach more of your goals that's why i'm releasing more consistent podcast episodes publishing more blog posts on strength running and doing a lot more videos for our youtube channel i hope you're enjoying all the new material and using it to better inform your running today's guest on the podcast is a runner named Brian. He's in his mid 40s, he's been running for about five years, and he's run a variety of races, including one marathon. But he has had a lot of injuries, from glute pain, to IT band syndrome, and to other knee pain. While he made it through his first marathon, he did so with some pain, and he didn't run as well as he was hoping. In this episode, we're going to hear how Brian typically prepares for his races, how he structures that training, his background in sports, and the steps he can take to stay healthy. Marathons aren't easy. Hell, even half marathons are long and challenging, so the injury risk is higher, and we have to think more deeply about staying healthy. The last thing any of us want is to suffer a serious or long-term injury because we didn't train properly for a distance that is very challenging. This episode will cover the fundamentals and give you more ideas on how to prevent your next injury as well as the training needed to run a personal best. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Path Projects, a running apparel company that I think is doing a lot for the running community right now. They're online only, making them very reasonably priced, but they use excellent materials that makes for very high quality gear. I've been loving the Pyrenees long sleeve hoodie and the Sykes five inch shorts. You can actually see me wearing the shorts in our latest video on YouTube about the Metcon Alpha workout. They're doing something special too for listeners of the Strength Running Podcast. Go to pathprojects.com slash Jason and enter to win one of three $75 gift cards. Since there's three of them, your odds are pretty good. Okay, let's move on to our coaching call with Brian today. If you struggle with injuries or you haven't realized your potential in any race distance, you're going to like this conversation. Without further delay, please enjoy my coaching call with Brian. Brian, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm excited you're here.
1: Thanks, Jason. I'm uh, excited to be here. Have a, excited to have a chat uh, about race training.
0: Yeah, we're hopefully going to get you to not only a better marathon, but a healthier marathon. I know you've had quite the history with some injuries over the last couple of years. So what I want to do on this call is, is hopefully give you an idea of how you can better structure your training to prevent injuries. So we'll talk about some really big picture things. We'll talk about some really detailed tactics that you can implement in your training uh, and hopefully by incorporating a lot of those different strategies over the next couple months you'll be able to run not only a good marathon but a healthy injury free pain-free marathon sounds fabulous okay so maybe we can start with uh, talking a little bit more about you and who you are and and how long you've been a runner so give us a give us the high-level look of of who Brian is
1: uh, I started running in 2014 20- 14 uh because i was traveling a lot for work so i spent a lot of time on planes in hotels and in conference rooms and not a lot of time doing a whole lot else so i started hitting the uh the treadmill at the hotel as just a way to get some exercise uh being a road warrior and then um a few months after that a co-worker who was who'd been a longtime runner and she's run a couple of marathons kind of Coaxed me into doing, getting a little bit more uh, adventurous and getting off the treadmill and out onto the streets uh, in the cities that I was visiting. And uh, ever since then, I haven't, I haven't really looked back. And I think I've been on a treadmill like two or three times since then. Uh, so I really love running outdoors and and just got kind of addicted to it. And a couple of years after that, uh, a different coworker knew that I was kind of getting into running and he was pulling together a Ragnar team of coworkers and he kind of conned me into joining the team and that really kind of set me on my way to running longer distances and doing races because I really hadn't done any races up to that point. And as part of training for that first Ragnar, I hadn't run more than six miles before that before that race or before that that training program for that race. And as part of that training program. I ran my first 10K and I run, ran my first half marathon and then uh, completed the uh, the Ragnar race with the team later that summer. And since then, I've been a really avid runner and I've r- usually run a half marathon and a 10K or a 10 miler every year. And Then I ran my first marathon uh, two years ago. Uh, I did get injured with some knee problems during that training program. I uh, was able to Rehab it just enough to get through the race uh, and did meet my time goal, even though I was uh, somewhat injured. Uh, The following year, I tried to run uh, the Pittsburgh Marathon, uh, but my knee started acting up again, so I backed down to the half marathon and was able to complete that, but it wasn't a great race. It wasn't a whole lot of fun because my knee was still in a lot of pain. And then uh, this year, I signed up for the Pittsburgh Marathon once again, And uh, here we are a couple of months out from that, and my knee's acting up. It's not nearly as as bad as it's been in years past, but it's definitely not in uh, the shape that I'd like it. Okay. So
0: let's hopefully get your knee in better shape so you can run this Pittsburgh Marathon. Uh, Sounds like your coworkers are a great influence on you, getting you into all these, (laughs) getting you into running and then all these races. So that's great to hear. Yeah, definitely. So Brian, how old are you? Uh, Mid 40s. Mid-40s. Okay. So you're still a young man. Uh, do you have any kind of sports background before you started running? Did you do any other kind of exercise? Did you play sports when you're growing up? Paint us a picture of what you used to do, uh, if anything.
1: Yeah. Growing up, I I biked and played soccer and basketball um, and all that all that kind of stuff and skied and hiked quite a bit uh but really since high school i hadn't really done a whole lot uh, other than skiing and hiking okay
0: now when you first started running maybe in 2014 or or that's more like when you started running more consistently um give us an idea of how much you were generally running per week was this you know maybe 10 miles a week were you running high mileage what kind of mileage levels were you doing
1: Um, I was probably doing between four and six mile runs, three, maybe four times a week and wasn't doing any races.
0: Okay. So we're talking maybe like 15 or 20 miles a week. Yeah. And I noticed you mentioned marathons, half marathons, 10 milers. Have you ever raced any of the shorter distances, 10 K 5 K any different, uh, race distances even shorter than that?
1: Um I've done a handful of shorter races. Um actually did uh, a 1 mile road race here in Pittsburgh a couple of summers ago. Uh, and I've done a hand, just two or three 5k's and two or three 10k's. Um I really prefer the longer distance. So that's what I kind of focus on. Sure, sure. Yeah, I can kind of see that. You put a lot of time and
0: effort into a training cycle and then, you know, you run a, a 5k race and it's over in, you know, 20 <laughs> 25 minutes. Right, exactly. <laughs> You want to savor it a little bit,
1: a little bit. Yeah. And get out there and and enjoy being outside. Yeah. And before this call,
0: you actually sent me an email with a lot of information about your training. And, you know, for our listeners, I'm going to play a little ignorant here just so that we have a a better conversation. Um, But, you know, you have a a mile PR of 650 and a 5k PR of 2338, uh, which is which is good. It's actually interesting. Your 10k PR is at a faster pace than your 5k PR. Is that still accurate? It
1: is, um, probably. And I I saw that too, as I was looking over my notes and it's probably because I just went to the 5k and ran it. I didn't necessarily train for it. Whereas the 10ks and above, that's definitely something I would put a training plan in place and, and execute that and show up to the race in much better shape than I would for a 5k.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um so yeah, you have some some good background with running. You've been running consistently for several years. Um you know, the fact that you've experienced a bunch of injuries, you know, now, you know, there's usually a bunch of red flags I look for from a training perspective to see, you know, why those injuries might be might be happening. Um does your training change substantially if you're kind of between races, you're not really training for anything specifically. And then say, when you are preparing for a half marathon or a marathon, is the difference in training substantial?
1: Um, it's somewhat different. Uh, if I'm not training for something, I'll probably just do uh, a five or six mile loop three times a week. And I won't be doing long runs and I, I, I won't be going all out and, and doing Training like that. And then once I see a race that I'm interested in, I'll put together or I'll, I'll find a training program or training plan and, and, and follow that pretty well for the 12 or 16 or 20 weeks that the plan is. Sure.
0: What about the swings and mileage or, or even long run distance? It sounds like, you know, if you're preparing for a marathon, going from five or six miles as your long run up to potentially 20 miles as a long run. Is that an accurate kind of view of how your long run progresses from not really training to marathon training?
1: Yeah. And the, the training plans that I typically follow will have a ramp up on the long run. So it's, it's, uh, kind of ramping up from where my current mileage is to those, those 20 mile long runs on the weekends. Sure. Sure.
0: And give us an idea of your background with strength training. Are you incorporating a fair amount of strength work into your current training or, you know, into your past training when you were experiencing, you know, your knee injuries, your IT band injuries?
1: Not a lot. Um, in 2017 and 2018, I was pretty good about doing just a simple body weight exercise routine, typically every morning before I even started my day. I'd, I'd roll out of bed and knock out 15 or 20 minutes of those exercises and then go about my day. But since then, I, I kind of fell off the wagon of, on doing those uh, and haven't really had any sort of strength training beyond that. But I have in the past. Six weeks or so since uh, my knees started acting up, kind of gotten back into the habit of of doing those body weight exercises again.
0: Great, great. Yeah, we're we're certainly going to talk a little bit more about that when, uh, you know, we can we'll talk a little bit more about the Pittsburgh Marathon coming up this May and and how you can hopefully incorporate some new strategies into your training to to stay healthy for that race. Um, I also want to talk really long term. You know, like what can you do. In 2021, for example, you know, big picture thinking to better structure your training. Um, So let's talk about that, your last marathon. When was your last marathon? Uh, My my last and only marathon was in uh, 2018. Okay. So you're you're coming up on your second marathon. And hopefully this will be almost like a comeback race. Hopefully no knee pain and and hopefully faster. Uh, What was your time in that marathon? Uh, 358. 358. Okay, nice. You got sneaked under four there. Great yep, work. That, that was the goal. <laughs> and okay. I just did it. Oh, wonderful. Um, now what was your training like for that marathon? Give us an idea of the total mileage levels and you know the long run progression over the course of the training program.
1: So it uh, ramped up to I think three 20 mile runs. Uh, long runs near the end of the training program, um, and it kind of stair-stepped up with uh, like 10 milers up to 12, 15, 17, and then it would and it would drop back down to 10 or 13, and then back up again. Uh, so I was probably putting in 30 to maybe 40 miles a week uh, during those heavy training weeks. And then it was actually on the last or no, the next to last long run that I injured my knee. And so I really, I really couldn't run more than three or four miles without it just being in a really horrible pain. So I swapped over to riding my bike for those two or three hour long training sessions, trying to kind of maximize uh, my cardio doing that. And I was moderately successful because I was able to get to the race and and finish it and hit hit my target time, but definitely not the uh the way you want to finish out your training plan.
0: Sure. Yeah. And and I'm sure a lot of marathoners will feel like they relate to that because this is a very common situation. You know, you get almost through an entire training program. You're on your last long run, your second to last long run. And then all of a sudden something starts to hurt. It's a very stressful kind of a situation to be in. Now, uh, were you doing any faster structured workouts as you
1: were getting ready for this marathon? Not really. I kind of went out and had to maintain my, my normal pace Okay. Did you do any faster running
0: whatsoever? Like maybe strides or some really simple fartleks or was it all easy running?
1: I maybe did one or two runs where um I kind of step up my pace every every mile and then step it back down for the last couple of miles, but only a handful of times. Okay, so almost like a progression run where you got faster over time. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Well, This gives me a really good picture of kind of your training background, some of the things that you were doing, the mileage levels and workouts and long runs that you've done in the past to get ready for your marathon. Um, And and now you're getting ready for Pittsburgh. It's coming up in May. So we have roughly two months or so. Um, You know, let's talk about some of the things that uh, you can start doing now to help you get ready for uh, this marathon. You know, obviously you know the the fundamental things like you have to run relatively higher mileage you have to run decent long runs you know get up to 18 to 20 miles those are always true for the marathon um but you know now that we're talking more about injury prevention you know i think if you can just stay healthy and then you can you know have better training because of staying healthy then you can go into the pittsburgh marathon in a couple months with more confidence you don't have to play it so safe and be so cautious. And, and I think you can set yourself up for a much faster time just with that. So uh, yeah, let's talk about some injury prevention methods. I, I know that you said you just started some strength work over the last couple weeks now that your knee has started being a little cranky with you. What kind of uh, what what does that look like? What kind of strength training are you currently doing?
1: Um, lunges and um planks and things like that. Nothing too, too exotic and nothing, nothing in the weight room at all. So those types of things.
0: Okay. And, and I don't think it's probably not a great idea to get in the weight room right now with a marathon in only two months. Maybe if you had three months, I'd say, you know, let's get in there and do something that's not incredibly challenging. Um, but with only, about eight weeks or so, we're almost running into the problem of there just being not as much time for the adaptations necessary uh, to happen. So all those great adaptations, you know, uh, toughening your connective tissues with strength training, stronger muscles, stronger bones, even, you know, all that stuff takes time. And it probably takes, you know, six to eight weeks for those really positive adaptations um, to start being realized. And so that's almost the time that you're going to be running the race. And, uh, I don't want to almost sacrifice your marathon training for uh, a big dose of strength training in the gym with some weightlifting, because, you know, I want to make sure that first and foremost, you're able to run this marathon and, uh, you know, we might be able to do something kind of simple or easy in the weight room, but the fact that you don't have a very extensive strength training background makes me think that, you know, it would be very much beneficial for you to do some weight training, but maybe in the future, maybe for the next marathon, maybe, uh, sometime later this spring or in the summer, you can get in the gym and start doing some more formal weightlifting. But for now, I think you should stick with the body weight strength exercises. And, um, you know, how often are you doing these, you know, kind of relatively simple exercises. And, and when I say that, don't think I'm disparaging them. You know, some of those simple exercises are actually the best. Um, but are you doing them a couple times a week? Or are you doing them after every run? What's the frequency like?
1: Uh, so I do the routine uh, typically every weekday morning uh, when I get up, and then I'll do uh, your warm-up routine uh, before I go out for a run. Uh, and then on the weekends, I typically just do the warm-up routine before my long run on Saturday. And then Sundays, uh, I actually go to a, a power yoga class, and that—that's about the extent of my Saturday activities.
0: All right, so that's actually pretty great. So you're doing a body weight strength routine, then a dynamic warm up, and then you're going on your run. Do, do I have that right?
1: Yeah, they're typically my weekday runs are typically in the evenings. So I do the body weight exercise typically first thing in the morning, and then go to work, and then come back. I'll do the your warm up exercise, uh, warm up routine, uh, before I head out for my run. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I have this
0: uh, approach to both warming up and cooling down from a run that I call the sandwich method. It's not really a method. It's just an easy way of remembering that you know, let's do a dynamic warm up before we go for a run. You know, a ten minute routine that's going to elevate your heart rate, improve your range of motion you know lubricate your joints and open all those capillary beds in your extremities all the things that a warm up should do right not unlike static stretching which doesn't really get you ready to go running so it sounds like you're doing that part perfectly a lot of folks are are they think that you have to do the post run routine right after the run and you know i think the number one priority of doing this kind of strength work is to simply get it done. And so whether or not maybe you run in the morning and then you do the routine during your lunch hour or in the evening, that works too. And, and you have an interesting schedule where you're running after work, but you're doing the strength routine in the morning. And, and I actually think that's probably just fine. Um, you know, the one of the side benefits of doing a strength routine after a run is that it acts as a cool down. It'll actually help you feel a little bit less tight But the fact that you are, you know, doing your run, but then you get a full night's rest, you're doing a strength routine in the morning, then after work, you're doing a dynamic warm up. You know, it's not like you're going into that run super tight, uh, where that can happen if you just skip the routine altogether, and then, you know, you run first thing in the morning. That's not really happening here. So I don't really see a reason to change this schedule. I would just want to make sure that whatever you're doing in the morning is comprehensive, specific to runners, and and is really helping your uh, specific injuries. So, you know, without going through every single exercise that you're currently doing in the morning during your strength routine, I would definitely encourage you to check out some of our uh, routines that we have on the strength running website, like the standard core routine, the ITB rehab routine. Uh, We have a medicine ball workout called the Tomahawk Medicine Ball Workout. You know, these are really great because uh, they focus on the things that runners need, you know, things like hip and glute strength. Uh, When we say core strength, you know, we're not really talking about your abs. We're talking about everything from your glutes to your hips to your lower abdominals to your obliques and lower back. So it's a much more comprehensive look at Uh, Core strength. And the standard core routine, for example, is really great because it kind of hits everywhere, very runner specific and very comprehensive. I consider it a bread and butter core routine for runners. It's something that I continue to do to this day. I've been doing it for more than a decade. It just makes you feel really good. And if you're consistent with it, you'll feel really strong too. Um, So, T- check out those routines and kind of see how they compare with what you're currently doing right now. And, you know, if what you're doing is either too short or not comprehensive enough, those routines will give you some ideas on some things that you can add to your morning strength session.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, I'll take a look at those. The, uh, the IT band one had already caught my eye because I've had some IT band issues in the past uh, and I definitely have weak glutes. So I'm looking for anything that can help me out with that what would you recommend doing those every day or alternating them? So these
0: routines in in my mind are what I consider very high benefit, but low risk. So when you're doing a body weight strength routine, it's really hard to hurt yourself. You know, you you have to almost be doing something really wrong or putting yourself in a, in a dangerous situation because of a bad decision you're making to actually hurt yourself doing a plank or a push-up or something like that. You know, we're, we're not doing, you know, 500 push-ups in an hour or, or these exercises to failure. So for that reason, I actually think more is better. More is more. And if you were doing a routine like this six days a week, you know, every morning during the week. And then uh, if you change the schedule a little bit on the weekend so that you did a routine after your long run, then I think that's enough. And I think that's uh, a great amount of frequency. So you're getting a good amount of strength work. It's not so stressful that we can't do it so frequently. So for example, if you were getting in the gym and you were doing some weightlifting with deadlifts and squats, you know the big exercises that help runners, then- you know, we don't want to do that every day. That that's pretty stressful. That's almost like doing a long run or a faster workout, you know, really great for our fitness and our capabilities as a runner, but it's not something that we want to do every day. The body weight routines, they're almost like the easy runs. You know, we can do those pretty much every single day. Uh, So I think you're fine with the frequency there.
1: Okay. And then would you alternate the IT band and the, the standard core?
0: yeah, those are two of my favorites. We also have, uh, I know you mentioned you're doing planks., uh, the gauntlet plank uh, workout is a variation on a series of planks, and there's eleven different planks that are included in that routine. So this is a great way just to get some more variety into your training. If you're always doing the same prone plank on your elbows and your toes, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a way that we can add more difficulty. We can make the exercise more dynamic and, and that's just going to make us more athletic and actually give us more strength. So, uh, that is a routine that I really like. Uh, let's see the Myrtle routine, which you can look up on YouTube. It's not a routine that I developed. It's from Jay Johnson, but it's another really great routine, particularly for the hips and the glutes. I almost consider it similar to the ITB rehab routine in that um, it focuses on the same area, but it's a little bit more mobility focused, whereas the ITB rehab routine is a little bit more strength focused. Okay, great. Yeah, those are all some some good options. And when I write up the show notes for this podcast episode, I'll have links to all those different routines. Uh, and there's, uh, I believe video demonstrations for, for each routine available. So, you know, you can, you can kind of see exactly how it's done. Excellent. Sounds good. So the strength training is, is a good part of injury prevention. Um, one thing that I want to mention too, is that, you know, when we're training for marathons, I always look at the long run progression to see if, you know, it's something that, that, perks me up and, and makes me really uh, kind of rings my alarm bells. And, and any training plan that has mileage increases of two miles from long run to long run is a red flag to me. And, and I don't actually even like a lot of cutback long runs because let's face it, if, if your body needs to cut back the long run distance from 15 miles back down to 11 or 12, And then you know you're going up to 17, and then two weeks later you're up at 20. I I doubt that this hypothetical runner in this situation is going to thrive in a marathon because they're just not really ready to run 26.2 miles at any kind of intensity. So I like to see a much more even and consistent long run progression where the increases in mileage are much more gradual. They're much smaller, and yes, we, we probably will take some cutback long runs over the course of the season. But it's not really every other week or you know every two or three weeks. It, it's it's only maybe two or three times during the entire training cycle, and, and I think this more gradual progression and more consistent progression is more beneficial from an injury prevention perspective but also from a performance perspective, because you'll end up just running more miles total over the course of the plan through your long runs. But really, it's the consistency that is so valuable here. You know, I think when runners get hurt or start developing injuries, it's usually because of a change in workload. So all of a sudden you're running a lot more or you're running a lot faster. And, you know, that change in stress is what causes your body to start breaking down. Now, if you have a very gradual long-run progression, the change in stress is actually much lower. And and I think the the total amount of stress might actually be even higher with a more gradual long-run progression. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get hurt because it's much more evenly spaced over the course of the program. So it's probably a little bit too late for you to Kind of incorporate this into your marathon training right now for Pittsburgh, but it's something to think about in the future when you're choosing your training plan. You know I, I think at a minimum, if you wanted to build your long run distance gradually and and in a safer way, you would be comfortable running twelve or thirteen miles for your long run at the very beginning of the training cycle, and that would allow that more gradual progression over time because ultimately, I think what we're trying to do here is, lessen the swings in workload from the time that you're not really training for a race and to compared to the times that you are training for a race. So if we can even that out a little bit, so that you're not going from 15 miles a week to 40 miles a week, maybe instead you're going from 30 miles a week to 45 miles a week. And, and that is just much more, uh, manageable from a physiological perspective.
1: Okay. Yeah. That, that's definitely a big change from, uh, what I've been doing, but it definitely makes a lot of sense. The other big part of injury
0: prevention is just making sure that you're running at a good intensity, you know, the proper intensity. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, what your pacing is like for, uh, some of your runs. Um, So let's start with, uh, you know, your easy pace. You know, this sounds like most of your runs are done at a relatively comfortable, relaxed effort. What kind of pace might that be for you,
1: Brian? I typically run between uh, like an 830 to an 840 mile, really no matter what I'm doing, unless I'm really pushing it. I I typically don't run a whole lot slower than that. Okay. Now, I'm a big
0: believer in performance-based pacing, which basically means we're basing your pacing off of your current fitness level. Um, So I'm going to use your half marathon time. It looks pretty great. Your half marathon PR is 149.11. And so if we're using that as kind of an indication of where your fitness is, you know, I might put your easy pace range around 845 to 945 a mile, somewhere in that kind of big range. And that all really depends on, you know, what the weather is like, how stressed you are, how hydrated you are, whether or not you're caffeinated, how warmed up you are. So there's a lot of different things that impact your easy pace. So it's also one of those paces where, you know, it's less of a pace and more of an effort because easy pace isn't really a pace. It's an effort. How, how, what pace should your easy runs be at? Well, they should be easy. And that really changes based on, you know, all those things that I just mentioned. So one of the things that I might recommend is actually to slow down a little bit on some of your easy runs. Um, it sounds like you're kind of right up on the fast end of, of where I think your easy pace should be based on based on your half marathon time, uh, also based on your 5K time, also very uh, consistent there. Um, yeah, I, I would say let's try to slow down a little bit. You might just be working a little bit too hard on those easy days. And um, one thing that we can do is, is polarize your training a little bit more. So some of your runs should be really slow. Like you should be at 9.30, 9.45 per mile as a recovery effort. This is like the day after a long run or maybe the day after a medium long run during the week. This is when you're a little bit more sore and tired and you really want the body to rest and recover. Let's be on the slow end of this pace range for those kinds of runs. And then, you know, when you are doing a long run, for example, a long run isn't a recovery run. It shouldn't be the slowest run that you do all week, even though it should still be an easy run. I kind of see long runs as just really long, easy runs. They're not long recovery runs. They're long, easy runs. So that means we're not going to run the long run at the slowest pace that we do all week, but we should still be within the easy range. Now, after you warm up for a couple miles, I'd love to see you somewhere on the fast end of that range, which it sounds like is completely manageable in what you're already doing right now. So maybe the only change is to slow down some of those uh, shorter runs during the week so that you can focus a little bit more on recovery.
1: Okay. Yeah, that sounds great.
0: Now, I do want to talk a little a little bit more long-term. So beyond the Pittsburgh Marathon, some, some things that you can incorporate in your training so that you can hopefully stay healthier from a long-term perspective. Um, and, and one of those things we kind of already talked about, one of those is is lessening the change in workload from the time when you're not really training for a race compared to the time when you are training for a race. So maybe not going down in total mileage so much uh, maintaining a long run that's hopefully in the double digits. Uh, cause that just means that it's going to be so much easier for you to jump back into training. Uh, and, and I think when people sometimes hear me say like, Oh, you should be running a lot all the time. It, it's not necessarily that that running should be very hard. You know, it's still all easy. You're just out there for, for maybe another 15, 20, 25 minutes a day. Um, and so that gradually becomes the new normal. And, you know, 15 miles a week might seem really easy now, but a year from now, 30 miles a week might seem incredibly easy. And and it's through that gradual progression of running a little bit more of working on your long runs and, and just being consistent with it over time. That really helps what seems like relatively higher mileage now become the new normal in the future. So I think that's a great strategy for you thinking long-term.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's something that uh, I could do. I could definitely, uh set as a goal.
0: Now, also, Brian, let's talk about some short races. Uh, I know that you're not incredibly inspired by (laughs) the shorter races, which is completely fine. Uh, And and I get that too. But I I do think your overall development as a runner would be well served by trying to get fast. Uh, And so we can do this a couple different ways. You know, first and foremost, uh, I think incorporating some kind of faster running into your schedule is a great idea. Uh, even right now with the marathon coming up in two months, you can start doing things like strides or an easy fartlek where you're kind of just running some time-based repetitions during a run. Uh, and they're very unstructured. You can do, you know, uh, you can structure a fartlek in almost an unlimited number of ways. You know, you can do six times a minute with two minutes easy, uh, or you could do it you know, any distance, uh, or time with a a longer recovery even. So there's a lot of flexibility there and, and don't think these workouts have to be grueling or anything like that. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is to have you practice running fast frequently and a drill like strides, which are really just accelerations that you do after an easy run is probably the most accessible, and simplest way to add some speed training to your program in a very low stress way. So a stride is basically a 100 meter acceleration where you get up to about 95% of your max speed. And you'll only hold that pace for about two seconds or so. And then you slow down to a stop. You get a full walking recovery in between each stride. And, you know, you only do about four of them. Um, Some runners can go up to six. But strides are really fundamental. You know, you'll see elite Olympians doing strides and you'll see uh, the eighth graders at the local middle school track team doing strides. So they're very much uh, an an integral part of how runners train. And so that's something that I think you could start this week, you know, four relatively easy strides, see how they feel, see how they make your body feel in a a couple days afterward. uh, And then just try to do them maybe twice a week. I think that's a great way to, Practice running fast to develop a little bit better running economy. And, you know, faster running does help you build some more strength. You know, every time that you run fast, you know, what you're really doing is you're putting more force into the ground with a stronger muscle contraction. And, you know, a lot of speed work is actually going to make you quite strong. I'm not saying. a lot of speed work into your program right now brian but uh, i think we can start that process and i think you we should start with some strides and then maybe after the marathon once you're fully recovered once you start doing strides again then we can do a regular weekly workout where you know depending on the race that you're training for you know, we're actually trying to run fast one day a week. I think that's going to be really important for, um, you getting faster, but then I think also just for, you know, general sound program design, having a weekly workout,
1: I think is critical. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Um, would you recommend doing those strides at the end of my run during the week? Yeah,
0: they're definitely something that you would want to do, uh, either within the run. So maybe within the last mile. So you might pick up the pace for 20 or 25 seconds, you know, gradually accelerate and then decelerate. If you were to graph this, your effort would kind of look like a bell curve. Okay. Or you can do them in the very traditional way where, you know, you would finish your run and then you would do strides after your run. They don't really count towards mileage or anything like that. You know, you're just kind of accelerating and then slowing down and stopping and repeating that over time. Okay. But overall, Brian, I think I'm really encouraged by, uh, your training and all that we've talked about today, because, you know, there, there are some real important things that you could add to your training that I think is going to improve your injury resilience and also your performance in these races. Um, it does, you know, being more consistent with long runs and, you know, the kind of the base training in between cycles, is that
1: something that you're on board for? Definitely. I, all of this sounds uh, doable. Um, and I, I can see how it would, will help me kind of round out my, my training plan and my exercise and hopefully get me to the, the marathon in a couple of months and in better shape and with less pain.
0: Right. That is definitely the goal. Um, and, and I think really long term, you know, beyond this marathon, you have a lot of improvement ahead of you. Uh, Because there's some things that you can really improve in your training uh, with running more, being consistent with the long run. Um, you know, the fact that you jumped into a 5k and set your PR, you know, if you actually prepared for one, you're going to (laughs) blow that time out of the water. So as a coach, I'm like, oh, wow, this is some low hanging fruit. You know, we're really going to be able to improve substantially if we just put a little bit more structure around your training. And I think that structure, you know, similarly to, you know, how a good high school program might structure their training or a good college program, or even an elite runner, you know, but we're, we're dialing back. The distances and the paces, we're not going to do things as frequently as they do, but the overall principles of how they train should still be there for recreational runners like us. Things like consistent long run, a regular fast workout, warming up dynamically before we start running, uh, doing consistent strength training. These are all so fundamental to how runners improve and get faster that I think they're uh, universal for every runner.
1: Yeah, it sounds good. Thanks for uh, all the advice. Yeah, no problem. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh,
0: Pittsburgh coming up. So, do you have a time goal for Pittsburgh?
1: Uh, I'd really like to stay under that four hour timeline. Um, The course is is quite hilly, if you know Pittsburgh at all. Um, And my last marathon was quite flat. I did the uh, grandma's marathon in Duluth. Okay. So,. I'd be very happy if I can maintain that, that four hour time timeline. Yeah. I think running a similar time on a much harder
0: course is actually an improvement. So that would be, uh, I think an accomplishment of course though, your training for grandma's had you on the bike for a while before the race. So, you know, Assuming that your training is better for this upcoming marathon, I, I think you could uh, hopefully get there and and maybe even improve on the time by by a little bit. That'd be excellent. Yeah, I will say that because Pittsburgh is very hilly, um, you know, the uphill running is not very hard on your body. It's actually you know a, a good stimulus to get stronger, but it's the downhill running that is not very good for runners. You know, there's a lot of impact force. There's a lot of pounding on our joints. Uh, The eccentric muscle contractions where your muscle is, is under load, but it's lengthening at the same time, which happens when you're kind of balancing and landing on a downhill surface. Those are the types of contractions that really cause a lot of muscle damage. So I would double down on strength training over the next two months. You know, really make sure that you're being consistent with it. Uh, make sure that uh you're doing some good leg strength exercises, even if they're body weight, things like lunges, squats, deadlifts, single leg deadlifts, these are all really fantastic and will help prepare your legs for all the, the downhill running because it's not only hard and just stressful, but it really does increase your injury risk too.
1: Yeah, that that all makes sense. I've uh I'm a fairly new transplant to Pittsburgh. So uh, running on these kind of short steep hills is is relatively new to me in the last two years, so it's uh, it's been a challenge.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And and, you know, if you could uh, get in some hill running over the next couple months, so that the Pittsburgh course itself isn't such a surprise, then that's also another good strategy. Just you know, be comfortable running on hills. You're not going to be running you know, a pace that's substantially faster than your current easy running pace. So, uh, you know, while hill workouts would be good, I'm a little hesitant to have you start any formal hill workouts because you don't have a, a ton of history with speed work. Um, but running easy on a lot of your easy runs, you know, I often call these roller coaster runs where, you know, it's not a workout. You're not running faster or, or or slower or anything like that. There's no structure to the run. You're just trying to run your easy run on a very hilly, rolling course where you're just getting a lot of exposure to medium length hills and short, steep hills and long, gradual hills and all the different kinds of downhills that correspond to them. So it's a really nice way of getting hill exposure and stealing your legs to the stresses of hill running without doing any of the formal hill workouts that are usually included in, in training plans.
1: Yeah. My short runs, uh, I typically do just out of my house, which is in a fairly hilly part of town. So I've got a a big hill that I hit pretty much right out of the gate when I leave the house. And then it's kind of rolling hills for the rest of the run. Uh, And my longer runs are usually downtown where it's uh, somewhat flatter. And then there's some definitely some big hills that we do as part of those long runs in the city.
0: Nice. Yeah. I would try to get in some of those big hills, particularly in the second half of your long run. You're a little bit more tired it's going to be just like the marathon. You're tired. You don't want another big hill, but they keep coming. And so that's a nice way to practice the specificity of the course, just getting on some hills, you know, at mile 16, mile 18, mile 19 of a long run. So that when you are tired during the race, you remember what that feels like. And, and over time, that'll help your body, um, just get a little bit stronger and build some capability on the rolling
1: terrain. Okay, great. That sounds good. All right, Brian. Well,
0: do you have any questions for me as we kind of wrap things up? I I know we've talked, you know, super specifics, big picture, you know, training ideas for the future. But hopefully you have a better idea on some things that you can start doing now, uh, some things that you might want to start doing differently in the future. uh, And then some real specific strategies for Pittsburgh coming up. But is there anything I missed? Is there anything that you want to talk about that we didn't get to?
1: This is all great. I've got two pages full of notes on uh, kind of what to do between now and Pittsburgh and what to kind of work in uh, after Pittsburgh for my next race so that that's all great. I guess my other question would be um, what about recovery after after runs um, as far as cooling down or foam rolling or any of those types of things to kind of maintain or get back into, being ready to go out for another run in a couple of days?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So I think first and foremost, your number one recovery tool is a good night's sleep. So really work on your sleep hygiene. Uh, I'm not sure if you use a sound machine or a face mask or blackout curtains, uh, but all of them are good strategies for hopefully keeping you asleep a little bit longer and making sure that your sleep quality is higher. Um, you know, try to get eight plus hours, especially when you're training for a marathon, you know, you're working hard every day and that's on top of the normal stress that you have, uh, with your job, with traveling for your job, uh, any family commitments that you have. I mean, there's just a lot of things that, you know, normal runners like us have to deal with because we're not being paid to run. You know, we have to deal with everything else in life. And so the, the, kind of a uh, stress reduction elsewhere and making sure that you're getting a good night's sleep, uh, I think are probably some of the more important recovery tools that you have at your disposal. Uh, and then the things like, you know, foam rolling. I, I think foam rolling is great. I-, I wouldn't look to foam rolling as the thing that's going to keep you healthy, but it certainly can help you feel better. Uh, particularly if, you know, with your specific schedule, Brian, you know, you're doing the strength workout in the morning, the dynamic warm up after work, then going for your run. If you're not going to do anything after the run, um, it might be beneficial to do some foam rolling or even, you know, just take five minutes and do some mobility exercises. You know, a lot of the exercises from the warm up routine can also be done after the warm up uh, after the run, rather, so that you know you just feel a little bit better. You're not getting as tight. You're still working on your range of motion, but you're doing it in a safe, controlled way. And if you did five minutes of that with some foam rolling, uh, just to work on, you know, making sure your muscles are staying supple, getting some extra blood flow to the tissue through the foam rolling, I I think that's only going to help. Um, So yeah, I I would do it in that kind of a schedule. I used to uh, spend five minutes on the foam roller every single night when I was training, you know, running 80, 85 miles a week because it just made me feel good. And, and I would usually run in the morning. Sometimes I would run again after work and you just feel tight and tired and sore. And, and the foam rolling really helps you. Uh, I think just as much psychologically as physiologically. Um, and then the other recovery methods, you know, like ice baths, cryotherapy, I I tend to have runners stay away from that because it can blunt some of the adaptation process. So, you know, the fatigue and the soreness that you feel after a long run is a good thing. It's telling your body that, wow, we just did something very stressful. Let's develop a little bit more endurance. Let's build some more mitochondria. Let's repair this muscle so that it is stronger so that next time crazy Brian decides to go out for a 19, 20 mile run, we're better prepared for it. So I I think that's uh, a good way to think about
1: it too. Okay. Do you have any opinions on like, I know you said ice bath and cryo you try to avoid, but uh, what about just ice packs on say my knee that's been acting up? I've read both ways that ice is great. Ice is terrible. I've read that heat is great. I've read that heat is terrible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know what's right. Um, Yeah. So the the whole cryotherapy ice bath thing, I think, is important. And what I just said, I think, is uh, a more global position for healthy runners. You're actually dealing with a specific problem, and I think an ice pack or, or even an ice bath, a bag of ice, however you do it, bag of frozen corn, whatever, uh, things like that can be good for pain relief. So if your knee is actually hurting you, you know, throwing some ice on it for 15 minutes or so in the evening. Uh, I I don't think is blunting any adaptation. You know, the thing with cryotherapy or an ice bath, it's like almost half your body. You know, it's all your entire legs. And and that's very much different than icing something specifically, you know, isolating a specific body part that's bothering you. So I'm okay with that. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think you're blunting the adaptation process and you are dealing with a particular problem. It's your knee. So, uh, I think it can be helpful. I just don't know if it will help the healing process. You know, are you actually making your knee better or are you just making yourself feel better for a night? I tend to agree with the latter. It's just making you feel better and, and there's nothing wrong with that. If that gives you more confidence that your knee is stronger and less um, likely to get injured again, then I think that's a good thing. But um, I think the the training uh, modifications and the strength training are probably two of the most important ways of staying healthy, uh, and and preventing it from coming back. But if you wanted to throw on some ice, I think that's fine. Okay, great. Now, have you had any problems with your it band this current training cycle too?
1: Um, it's not been too bad, but I've been fairly religious about, uh, foam rolling, especially my it band. Um, almost every evening, either sitting in front of the TV or uh, right before bed. Um, and then in the past few weeks, in the past few weeks, since my knee started acting up, I've started foam rolling more of my legs. So my quads and my hamstrings and my calves, and that seems to have helped uh, reduce my knee pain uh, as well. So I've, I've really kind of taken up foam rolling lately. So I was very happy to hear that uh, you, you uh, endorse foam rolling. Yeah. Foam rolling is one of those things where there's
0: so few downsides, um, and the upsides are either potential or small, but again, potential or small upside with virtually no downside is is a good training and intervention in my mind. Um, yeah, I would definitely encourage you to, when you're foam rolling, uh, really get into the quads, the hamstrings, the hips and the glutes, you know, those are, you know, basically all the muscles in the upper leg. These are the major muscles that power your stride that help you, um, stay healthy because, you know, if there's any movement anomalies in your stride, if there's any inefficient movement patterns, they're probably being caused by those bigger muscles higher up in the chain. So doing some foam rolling on, uh, those muscles can help, uh, with mobility, improve your range of motion so that you're not, you know, super tight and constricted, and and that can certainly cause some uh, pain in, in different areas. So I'm a big fan of foam rolling uh, because of those reasons, uh, and it also just makes you feel good, which I think has a nice psychological impact.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels feels good at at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and I, and I know you're you're an engineer, right? Yeah. So you probably spend a lot of time in front of a computer sitting down. If you could try to limit some of your sitting or, you know, try to either alternate with standing or take frequent walk breaks. uh, I think that's really helpful for, um, you know, not only your IT band syndrome, but also your knee problems for a couple of reasons. First, uh, all that sitting really desensitizes our glutes to working optimally. They don't fire properly. We don't fully engage them because they're in this kind of stretched out position for like eight, nine hours a day, where they're just not being used whatsoever. Uh, and, and that can really cause problems with IT band syndrome and, and knee problems too. So uh, that's something to keep in mind too. Uh, and and when you do that in conjunction with strength training, the glutes and making sure that you have a strong, butt, really important for running. And I think your injury problems are going to start to dwindle over time if you start focusing on that. And and I think that's true for almost any runner who has a desk job, you know, just try to limit the sitting that you're doing all day. You know, of course you're going to have to sit down for a big chunk of the day. Uh, but if we can just be a little bit more mindful of getting up more frequently of, you know, potentially standing, if we have that option, then I think we're going to feel a lot better moving forward.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, see what I can do to limit my time or shorten the stints at my desk. Good, good,
0: good. All right, Brian. Well, how are you feeling for Pittsburgh? Are you feeling a little bit more confident, a little bit more, uh, maybe clear on what you're going to do for the next couple months?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, a lot of a lot of things to consider and add into my training program and help mix it up and also uh, help prepare me for the race in a couple of months.
0: Well, good. And and I don't think anything that we talked about is something very dramatic that we're going to be changing with your training over the next couple months. Um, you know, especially for the Pittsburgh marathon, you know, we're not doing something radically different that all of a sudden your body is going to be too stressed. You know, we're, we're adding some strides. We're actually slowing down on some easy runs, being a little bit more consistent with, uh, the long run distance, you know, all those things I think, uh, are, are not really going to make your training more stressful, but I do think it will make it more effective.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, looking forward to trying it out and uh, seeing how it improves my running.
0: Well, great. And I want to know how you do at Pittsburgh. I want to see if you got under four again. Will you let me know so that I can update our listeners? Definitely. I'll let you know how it goes. All right, Brian. Well, thanks again for being here. Thanks for talking about your running to the strength running audience. Very much appreciated. And best of luck as you get ready for Pittsburgh.
1: All right. Thanks, Jason. Looking forward to it.
0: And that is episode 136. I'm really loving these coaching calls. I hope you are too. They're a different format than a typical interview. And these really showcase the lessons that we learn in other episodes. There's a lot to learn and apply to your own running. And I hope you find value in that. And another big shout out to our sponsor, Path Projects. I'd be singing their praises even if they weren't sponsoring the podcast because I'm in love with their products. The Baseliner is the most comfortable pair of underwear I own. Sorry if that's TMI, but I look forward to doing laundry because I can wear them again. And you don't need to only listen to my word about PATH. Their Brim FT Shorts and Tahoe Baseliner won the 2018 Gear of the Year Award from Runner's World. And the Pyrenees hooded shirt, which I'm loving, was named one of the six best sweatshirts for running in the cold by Gear Patrol. It's awesome stuff. Don't miss their giveaway at pathprojects.com slash Jason. They're giving three $75 gift cards away to three lucky runners. And even though their gear is already affordable, this is a good opportunity to get some really high quality running gear. Head over to pathprojects.com slash Jason to enter. And good luck. I hope you win. Thank you again for being here, for listening, for being part of this community, and for loving this great sport so much. As always, if you ever need anything, feel free to email me at support at strengthrunning.com. Until next time.